You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. You. And I'm glad that we can be here together today and trusting that the Lord has a word for us from the book of Judges. So if you have your copy of Scripture, will you turn with me into Judges 3-7? Will you stand with me now as we stand on the solid rock of God's Word and we hear this story of Othniel? Now, that's not one of the more well-known persons in the Bible. It's an obscure judge, but he's the first of the judges, and in many ways, he is an exemplar. He is a high watermark of what a judge in Israel was all about. Let's hear the little bit about his story that we have. Chapter 3, verse 7. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishatham. I got it right all ten times, and it's in this text in the first service. I can't do it now. King of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishatham eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishatham, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishatham. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text of Scripture. Lord, I know that many times we'll read a passage like this and skip right on by it with all those difficult words and with obscure references, but you're speaking through those words, and you're telling us a story. You're telling us a story that I believe every person in this room will hear and recognize that the stories of today aren't much different than the stories from many thousands of years ago. God, I ask that you will open our minds to what is the reality of of sin in this world. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will fall upon this place. And we pray, God, that you will move us to be the people you want us to be. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. But as you're being seated, let me mention this to you. If you want to rise, the Spirit must fall upon you. What we need in our day is what the people of Israel needed in the time of the judges, and that is for the spirit to fall. When we come to the story of Othniel, there isn't much biographical data. We only have a few scant words about his life and his ministry, his leadership. But what we do know is that this was a man who experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, and really, everything else is a footnote to that. If we will allow the Spirit of God to fill us, that is a guarantee that our lives are going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Minutes before I began to write this sermon, it was on May 23rd. I wrote that down because I wanted to put an anchor in time for you. On May 23rd, as I was sitting down to write this sermon, my inbox started to to, to go crazy. 
And I realized I was receiving emails not just from the news organizations that I uh, subscribe to, but from several friends around the country and around the world that are in the Southern Baptist Convention. It was on May 23rd that the Houston Chronicle set forth its latest article about the sexual abuse scandals in the Southern Baptist Convention. And as I was sitting down to write about an ancient period in Israelite history, an obscure time, a time that we often as as modern believers will look back and say, oh, things were so bad back then and they were so wicked and evil. In my inbox, I was seeing evidence that things haven't changed all that much and that sin and depravity occurs not only in the past, but it certainly occurs in the present. Many of you are aware, some of you are not, but in the Southern Baptist Convention, some of the great heroes, some of the great preachers and leaders of our convention, the very men that I grew up going to the Southern Baptist Convention as a young pastor and looking up to as the exemplars, as the great preachers of our generation, men who seem to have the Spirit of God upon them, they have fallen. And many times they fall because of sexual sin. If you look at the text with me, let me show you the connection. There is the mentioning here, and we'll talk more about it in a moment, of the Baals and the Ashtoreth. Those are two gods, a god and a goddess, that are almost always connected with sexual immorality in the Old Testament. If these two gods are mentioned in the context of worship, you can guarantee that sexual sin was a part of the equation. And what that reminds us of is that what Israel was suffering with and struggling with in terms of sin in the period of the judges is the exact same issues that we wrestle with today. We keep watching good people fall, and I believe the reason why is because we're going too long without seeing the spirit fall. Let me say again, if we want to rise up as an individual, as a collective church, we need to be lifted up by the Holy Spirit. We need what the old timers called revival. We need what the text tells us clearly is the spirit of the Lord falling upon us as it did on Othniel. We need something to be different in the church today. We need to do more than show up and pay our dues as it were to attend a small group which we need to do which is great. Also coming to church, I would think that's a great idea but don't think that just by checking those boxes off we're going to change a generation. We can do a lot of things right, but what we need more than anything else is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was true in Othniel's day. It's true in our day, too. We live in a day where it seems that many people have forgotten God, even those of us who show up to worship on Sundays. We come and we sing songs and we hear uh, archaic words and archaic stories and we forget that these archaic words and archaic stories have context in today's reality that what we're seeing in the world today the pain and the suffering those who are being abused and neglected those who are in pain it's always been this way and God has always brought people into the world people into the church people into Israel to make a difference that's who we are There are those who have done poorly. There are those who have made poor choices. And there are those who have given in to the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But we need to give ourselves fully to the Lord. This generation needs to see a church like this and a person like you filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Not compromising the word in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but fully committed to the way of God. We need this. I think we are in a season of forgetting. We are in a season where too many people have lost their way. Too many people who are supposed to be spiritual leaders have abused those privileges. And friends, the only way to avoid that is accountability and humility one with another. And I'll say this, be thankful that you're a part. If you're a member of Ridgecrest Baptist Church, I want you to know there are a group of elders who are here to hold your leaders accountable. There are men who hold me accountable for my words and my deeds, and that is the only way that a human being filled with sin, which we all are, can be kept on the straight and narrow by the word, by the spirit, and by mentors and those who hold us accountable. And I don't know who's holding you accountable, but don't you dare get away from your accountability partners. We need each other because we need the spirit of God to fill this place. And if we are giving into sin, we are giving up on that power. Today you're going to see a continuum, a connection with history again and again. Let me take you back into the 1950s in London. One of my favorite pastors, I talk about him a lot, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was preaching to his congregation in London in the 1950s and said this, we are living in an age hopelessly below the New Testament pattern, content with a, little, a neat little religion. He said, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me unpack that for you. As Martin Lloyd-Jones was preaching, he was preaching and talking about the church in the book of Acts. Now, I know we're in the book of Judges, but just follow along with me. If the book of Judges represents the people of God at their worst, the book of Acts represents the people of God at their best. And the people of God at their best in Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5 are at their best because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And here, Othniel is a light shining in the darkness because the Spirit of the Lord fell upon him. As I began to read what Lloyd-Jones was saying to his congregation in 1950s metropolitan London, I realized he was speaking to our hearts today in America. He was reminding us that when we come to Acts 2 and we see the people together as one, when we see thousands of people being saved, we tend to see that as the exception and not the rule. But the reason God gave us the book of Acts is because he wants us to see that Acts 2 is the rule and the deadness of the churches today is the exception. I want you to think about this for a moment. We have all settled for something less than God intended for his church. We are far below the standard. We are far below where we need to be. When was the last time you came to church and you felt the pulse of the Spirit? We come in here and if we have a religious experience, we remember it because it's so rare. And we think that we've got it better off today than the people in the book of Judges. We're going to hear in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. We might say, well, we hear the word of the Lord all the time. But yeah, are you moved by it? Words are wonderful. And the words I'm preaching to you, I believe they are true because they're from the word. But listen to me, are those words changing you? Are you going to behave differently on the morrow, on tomorrow? Are you going to act differently because of what the Word says to you today? The Word has to begin shaking us and transforming us and removing from us 
the sin that is in our hearts. Othniel, we don't know much about him. There's a lack of information. But what we see is a work of God. Let's talk very quickly about what's going on here in the text. And it all begins, sadly, in the book of Judges with sin. It always does. Verses 7 and 8, we see sin sinking us down. The book of Judges, very quickly, let me just say to you, there's a cycle with every judge. And it goes something like this. First, we have in the book of Judges, you'll see it here in this passage, verses 7 and 8, a description of Israel's sin and the Lord's anger against that sin. Secondly, you'll see Israel's bondage to an oppressor and the length of servitude or suffering that they experience. You see that there at the end of verse 8 and into verse 9. Then you see Israel's prayer for deliverance and the emergence of a Savior anointed with the divine spirit. That's where you get into verses 9 and 10. And then a period of peace, which is told to us there in verse 11. As we go through the judges, you'll see that that basic framework, one, two, three, four, uh, happens with all of the judges. This is the judges cycle. But the cycle, sadly, always starts with sin. And I want you to look at the text with me. Let's see what it is. First, we are told that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That word evil so often in sin represents falling short of God's ideal. It means uh, not living up to the standards of the law and of the commands of God. So we know that generally they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. More specifically, we are told that they were forgetting the Lord their God. Now there are sins of commission and then there are sins of omission. When we forget God, that is more of a sin of omission. You are omitting something. Let me say this, Christian. You may be able to stand here today when we sing and and say with a straight face and with a clear conscience that you are not committing any grave sins against the Lord. But let me ask you this. How often are you forgetting God? How often are you leaning into your own understanding? How often are you trusting in the gifts that God has given you, whether they are financial or whether or not they are just the gifts that God has blessed you with as a human being? How many times do we go through a day and really not reflect on God and not ask him for his will to be done in our hearts? Forgetting God is a common thing. And when we forget God, the Lord our God, Yahweh Elohim, here in the text is what it says, forgetting Yahweh, the personal God, the God who has a direct connection, the God who has spoken to us and saved us. Anytime you see the word Yahweh in the Hebrew, it is a reminder that he has a personal relationship with you, that at one time you were lost in your sins and he reached down and called you by name and rescued you from your sins. But over time you forget about that and then you begin to serve the Baals and the Asheroth. Sin comes in many manifestations, but one of the first steps a human being takes when they have forgotten God is in the direction of sexual sin. I think we need to hear this message today. The book of Judges and the conversation in this book about sexual sin goes from here all the way to Samson. If you know the Samson story, you know from the first time we're introduced to him as an adult to the last day he struggled with sexual sin, and that sexual sin is what killed him in the end. We realize that it's not just a problem in the book of Judges, but we see that it is a problem of the human condition. That those who are in pulpits, those who are in politics, those who are in positions of power in the world, those of us who are just people, we are all very, very vulnerable to sexual sin. And God's people were no exception. 
Instead of doing things God's way, instead of preserving sex for marriage, they allowed sex to even enter into their worship life. They chose to allow the worship of Baal and Ashtaroth to take over their lives. And because of that, God sent a punishment. The person mentioned here, Kushan Rishatham, which I just totally messed up the first time I tried to say it a minute ago. Um, in the first service, I said, whoever wrote this, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, did you have to have his name like eight times in those six, seven verses? Come on now. Um, but I want you to hear those words, Kushan, Rishathim. I want you to hear them because they mean something. Kushan is a, a geographical a distinctive. It's telling us that he, this wicked person, came from the north to attack Israel. Now, why that's important is because uh, Othniel comes from the south. A couple things about this. Othniel is from the south, and the threat comes from the north. That tells us that, one, um, he was a person with great leadership ability because the people of the north were accepting the southerner to come up and lead them in battle. That's a big deal. It also shows us that Israel, even though there were 12 tribes, they were pretty unified at this time. To allow somebody from a further away tribe to come and lead the nation is pretty impressive. And it tells us something there, that God is already bringing Israel together as, as a unit, as a group, as a nation. But here's what's really interesting. The name, Kushan, Kushan Rishathayim, that last part translates this way, double wickedness. Kushan, where he's from, what is he about? Double wickedness. And there's a lesson here. When we forget God and give in to sexual sins or any sins for that matter, the punishment we get is double wickedness. Your sins, as it has been said many times, are going to take you much further than you want to go, and the penalty you're going to pay is much greater than you're willing to pay. That's the story in Judges, and that's the story today. What we need to realize here is that the double wickedness came upon the land because of the great sin of Israel. Let me just say this. You say, well, what is it? What is it that they did that was so bad, that deserved double wickedness? Well, when you worshipped Baal and you worshipped Asherah, here's what you did. You took young women who were vulnerable, many times just children, and they were sold into slavery, into sexual slavery in the temples of these dark, nasty demon gods. And I'm here to tell you that that was happening all these many thousands of years ago, and it still happens today. When the devil starts taking over, the most vulnerable among us are attacked and destroyed. Church, we must stand against that evil. When we see vulnerable people being taken advantage of, when we see those who are being abused, we cannot be silent. We cannot create environments that protect those who are predators. We must make sure that we are standing firm on gospel truth and we're reaching out to the least of these. The Southern Baptist Convention has its flaws. There have been times, obviously, that we have forgotten who we are and forgotten God, and that is why we have found ourselves in this place. The book of Judges is not some historical aberration. It is what happens when even good people forget who they are in Christ. Do not forget who you are in Christ. Don't forget 
When you begin to give in to that sinful impulse that you are potentially not only crushing your own soul, but if you give in to that impulse and hurt someone else, you are crushing another soul as well. Someone made in the image of God. The church cannot allow itself to sink into sin when we are called to rise up in the power of the Spirit. Walking away from God, forgetting Him, leaves us vulnerable to the demonic forces of this world that come to steal and kill and destroy. Two authors that are commentators say this, evil can only destroy and take away. It is a parasite on goodness. Evil takes something good and draws something wicked or negative. So the beauty of human sexuality is perverted by the lust of the flesh. The desire to work and to earn money is a good thing, but if the love of money takes over your soul, it's parasitic and then it corrupts. You see how that works? The devil likes to take the best things that you have in your life and he wants to twist them and turn them and pervert them. And that is what the church has to do. It has to stand against that. When we see it in the culture, listen, I understand when we stand up for sexual ethics, biblical sexual ethics, the world looks at us and calls us all kinds of names. But listen, we are saying these things because we believe that they are from God first. And we see through experience that when we do things God's way, people are more healthy, they are more holy, and they are helped. We see too many people being crushed by the world's message. They may make fun of our sexual ethic, but when we talk about the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of sex between a man and a woman, what we are doing is we're providing the biblical path towards healthiness and holiness and happiness. Don't be ashamed of the word of God. Don't give in to sin. Don't let sin draw you down. Instead, let the Spirit, let the Lord raise us up. We want a higher standard. We want a biblical standard. The man of God that is raised up here is Othniel. He's a Kenizzite. And of course you know what that is, right? Well, let me give you just the quick summary of what that means. It means that Othniel was not in terms of his blood, in terms of his actual connections, he was not a blood relative of the Hebrew people. He was a part of the Kenzite tribe, which would have been a, a tribe of nomads that were there in that land between Egypt and Israel. He was uh, sort of adopted into the family of God. But it didn't matter what the past was, what his blood was. The reality was, was that he was a part of the tribe of Judah. The Kenzites became a subset of the Judah clan. And so he, this man who was really not part of Israel at the beginning, becomes a great leader in Israel. So here's the message. Friends, it doesn't matter where you came from. If you are filled with the Spirit, God will use you to lead his people. Don't worry if you got a little bit of an accent. As I travel the world a little bit, uh, people hear my accent, and I don't know, I guess when I travel, I sound like I'm from Kentucky or something. And that's okay. We don't need to worry about those things. We don't need to worry about how people view us or whether or not uh, we're, we're, we're viewed as someone who's sophisticated or smart or in the right place. No, what we need to be is filled with the Holy Spirit. The world needs you and me filled with the Spirit and rising up with the power of God. 
We see that this man was used of God. Caleb recognized his abilities. Chapter 3, verse 9. We also see this in chapter 1. Caleb grants his daughter to him. So this was a man who was brave. He was a great leader, evidently. It doesn't matter what his family was. It doesn't matter where he was born. What matters is that he allowed God to move in his heart. And the Lord will rise up among us. He will raise up among us the people that he wants. And he wants you to be something more than you are today. When we read a text like this, I mean, Othniel was obviously very successful. Like, I'd like to know his leadership skills. What did he do? How did he, how did he lead? How was he a great military leader? How was he a great politician? God's word doesn't let us know any of those things, and here is why. It is not important what his leadership style was. The only thing God's word wants you to know is, is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what that tells me is, don't read the books about methodology all day long, but read the classics of spirituality that you may be filled with God. People who are filled with God change the world. They may sometimes not have the smoothest presentation. They may not have the best subset of skills in terms of management. But when we are filled with the Spirit, we make a difference. Today the church needs to be filled with the Spirit. And I just wonder, what would it look like if the Lord were to raise me up, to raise you up? That's what we need today if we're going to experience Spirit-filled Spirit-led victory. That's our last point. Othniel was successful. In fact, of all the judges, we can say he was probably the most successful. It's hard to see it in the text because we learn so much more about later judges. We, we, Deborah comes to mind. Gideon comes to mind. Even Samson comes to mind. We think of them as more successful. But as you read through the book of Judges and you're paying close attention, what you realize is, is that Othniel represents the high watermark of the judges and Samson represents the low watermark. And you kind of have a degression all the way down. They don't get better. They get worse as time goes by. And then you have Samuel and then you have Saul and then you have David. All of this is leading us in that direction. But let me show you one thing here that gives us some evidence, some proof that what God's word is telling us is not only true, but it's, it's a very teachable moment. In chapter one, we learn that Othniel uh, defeated a city called Debir. Now, that doesn't mean anything to any of us. Uh, we wouldn't know where that's at unless you've traveled in the Holy Land and you were very, very good at your history and very into obscure Hebrew history. You would never go to this site. But the site has been excavated. And here's what they found. They found that in the 1300s of B.C., 1300 years before Christ, the city of Debir was a powerful, sophisticated city in Canaan, one of the megacities and one of the real strongholds of the land. The archaeology shows that around 1220 B.C., there was a great fire and destruction, and the civilization that built on those ruins was far less sophisticated in terms of technology than the society that went before us. What does that sound like? Well, it sounds like a bunch of nomads who had no business taking over a powerful city won the fight, took over, and then established homes, but they didn't have the technology to build the buildings back the same way. They didn't have the same level of sophistication because they had been traveling around in the wilderness for 40 years. It's kind of hard to learn architecture when all you have is sand. 
So what I'm telling you is, is that archaeology is showing that a group of people who were very weak from the standards of the world took over a city that was very strong by the standards of the world. And then we asked the question, how did that happen? It happened because they were spirit-filled and they were led to victory by the power of God. God's people, when they are filled with the Spirit, will have victory in places that the world can't imagine. We must be Spirit-filled. Othniel, we don't know how he did it. We don't have stories about marching around Jericho. We don't have stories uh, about, you know, uh, these amazing miracles, the sun setting still, all those things. No, we just know that he won the battle. And the Bible wants us to know that we can win our battle too if we are filled with the Spirit. What might God do through you if you were faithful? How many generations could your life touch if you let the touch of God rest on your soul? Othniel's name in Hebrew means lion of God. There's a couple different variants of this. Ariel, Othniel, they both mean lion of God. In this instance, we see a name meaning something, but... I think that the connection with the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, we, we see uh, this name itself referring to lions. I'm here to tell you, when you allow Jesus to be supreme in your life, you can be a powerful force for him. And I look around and I see a church like ours with so much potential, with so many spirit-filled people. And I say to myself, where is Acts 2? And remember what I said earlier, that as a, as a young preacher reading through the book of Acts, I assumed that Acts was something that I might get to see once in my lifetime. But God spoke to my heart and said, no, Jeremy, that's what I want for you and the church every day. We want to see Pentecost come every Sunday. We want to see people being saved, and we want to see lives being changed. And it's not going to happen by following the latest methodology or figuring out the latest quirk in society where we're able to connect with people. No, what we need is to surrender our hearts to the power of God. And until we do, we're going to play church instead of be church. Othniel is an obscure figure. But all you need to know is that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. This weekend, we have had a funeral already, and we have one today and one tomorrow, and many of our families are struggling and, and grieving. When I speak at a funeral, you know it's my job to say things about the deceased, but you know, to point people to the gospel, that's the first and foremost priority. But what will be said of you? What will be said of you? Will they talk about your, your, your work, where you worked? Will they talk about your family and how you took care of them? Will they talk about your travels and all the interesting things you were able to experience? All those things are good. But let me give you something to shoot for, something better to aim for. The only thing that's important that must be said when your days are over and someone is eulogizing you are these words. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The Spirit of the Lord was upon her. Let me ask you, 
Could a preacher say that over your casket with a straight face? Let me say this. Many churches in the world today are dying. There was an article, I think, in the Atlantic Monthly just a few days ago celebrating some cool ideas people have had with closed-down churches and how they're turning them into businesses in metropolitan areas. The world celebrates the death of churches. And the world will celebrate the death of this church if it happens. The only way that we can keep the undertaker away, the only way that we can avoid the fate of death is for the Spirit of the Lord to fill this place. And every day, we need to clamor and cry out for God to do just that. <laughs> the book of Judges seems so far in the past, but I hope that you have seen that it's really about today. Your sin doesn't stand a chance if the Spirit fills you, brothers and sisters. But the desires of your heart, for many of you, are leading you to disaster. If the Spirit falls, then all will be well. But if the Spirit does not fall, you will fall under the weight of your sin. There is nothing I can say to you here today that's going to change the situation or move the needle in the right direction for you. I'm not clever enough. I can't give you the, the, the TED talk you need to feel better about your life. I can't do it. But I can tell you this. If you will humble yourself before the Lord, confess your sins in this altar, if you will seek the face of the Lord, it is then that you will have a connection, a capacity to be filled with the Spirit. And until your heart begins to long for that sort of power, you will be mostly powerless. If you're okay with that, my heart weeps for you. Because what that tells me is, is that you want a savior, but you don't want a spirit filling you. And Jesus died for you. Yes, if you believe in him and have eternal life in him, that's a beautiful thing. But is your life a beautiful life? There's some in this room that maybe are called to ministry. Your life is not going to be beautiful until you receive that call and just walk with him. To be filled with the spirit needs to be our aim and our goal. No exceptions. We're going to sing a few verses here of an invitation. And I want you to prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper. I want you to prepare your heart that you may be filled with the Spirit. But as we prepare for this moment, prepare your hearts. And that's what this altar and this time of invitation is for. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.